Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. This week, I sat down with Brandon Anderson, general manager of Shadowbox Live and Backstage Bistro, to talk about the Columbus theater scene, the origins of Shadowbox, what it means to be the general manager of America's largest residential theater company, and the responsibility that we have as creatives, business leaders, and citizens in making Columbus a destination city. You can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Also, The Confluence Cast is on Patreon. Find out how to support this podcast on our website, theconfluencecast.com, or at patreon.com slash confluence. The Confluence Cast is sponsored by Art Makes Columbus, Columbus Makes Art, featuring stories about our city's incredible artists, stories full of inspiration, challenge, passion, and success. For videos, articles, an up-to-the-minute calendar of events, and an artist directory, visit columbusmakesart.com, the resource for all things arts and culture in the capital city. Enjoy the interview. Sitting down here with Brandon Anderson, the general manager of Shadowbox Live and Backstage Bistro. Brandon, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you today, Tim? Good. Longtime listeners will remember we spoke last year with featured performer Amy Lay from Shadowbox. Mm-hmm. We're sitting down here talking about your season just wrapping up here the first weekend in November is Circle of Blood. Circle of Blood. Tell us about that show. Well, Circle of Blood is actually a an adaptation of uh, a graphic novel called Kabuki, Circle of Blood by David Mack. It's a New York Times bestseller, really popular novel. And this is our stage adaptation of that. And it's a, what we like to call a metamedia experience. It's taking different elements of live production, dance, music, video, and just having them all collide into this event, kind of tell a story in a much more dynamic way. There's a lot of what we call... Um, Actually, everyone calls it, which is kind of augmented reality, where our video screens are interacting with the actors on stage. So it's really cool. We haven't seen anything done like this before. I'm reckoning it hasn't been done. Okay, But it is a ton, ton of fun. And it's a really, really action-packed script and show. How long does it take for you? Because you guys do do a lot of original work. How long does it take to put together a piece like that? Well, Kabuki's been in production for about 17 months, I'd say. Oh, wow. Uh, And that's just simply because of the distance in our creative forces, you know, working with David Mack, of course, to get the rights secured and get his vision uh, materialized in Mm -hmm. in the way that we want to in a a way that speaks to us as well. And of course, if you're familiar with David Mack's name, he's an Emmy winner for um, uh, title credits for Jessica Jones and Daredevil. He was actually a writer on the Daredevil series for a while. Okay. So he's, of course, out doing tons and tons of projects out West. So it's a matter of getting with him and then, you know, conceptualizing, you know, the look for the stage and and all that. So well, that's sort of a special circumstance. Typically with our original works, when we're doing them all in-house, mm-hmm. you're looking at about a four to five month uh, okay. production but cycle. But that's still a, a significant amount of time Absolutely. to have a team working at least part-time on 
on those. Absolutely. You know, it, it, the the biggest, you know, issue is the script, of course, getting an idea of putting something from the mind onto the paper mm-hmm. and understanding, you know, how that's going to translate to our stage. And since we're a resident theater company, we also tend to write sometimes for the talent that we have in mind, you know, and sometimes that may take the story in an entirely different direction. So conceptualization takes a big chunk. And once that's all done, and actually sometimes in the process of it, we're casting and then rehearsing mm-hmm. and, and then getting the show on its feet. And for those that aren't familiar, a resident theater company simply means most of your performers are staff. They Absolutely, are, are yeah. in house. Yeah, I, I kind of, and, and because sketch comedy and rock and roll is kind of our bread and butter, is kind of what we're really known for, I've been starting to help people get their head wrapped around it by thinking of it as like Saturday Night Live or as like, okay. a, like a troupe. Like you see these same people every week or every show, but they're always doing different things. Gotcha. Gotcha. Give us the background sort of how did Shadowbox come to be? Well, Shadowbox... 26 years. 26 years, yeah. Mm-hmm. It all started with a guy named Steve Geyer and this dream to produce a rock opera about the origins of Merlin. and The Wizard? Got, yeah, The Wizard. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And so he went to OSU looking for talent. He came across two uh, talented singers along with a host of other folks and put together, put together this show. Okay. Which, you know, was a, a, a labor of love, but not the most critical or financial success you okay. know Columbus Theater has ever seen and those folks did their show they enjoyed each other and enjoyed the time they have and enjoyed the creation process and then went away uh-huh. and then Steve had another idea for another show called uh, and I, I may be getting this right but I think it's Lone Season is the next one coming up okay. so anyway these people got together and did a show again and in between, you know, getting together and doing shows, they're working, you know, different, you know, catering gigs or waiting, right. or waiting tables or going to school or whatever. And they decided that coming together and then separating wasn't good for the creative process. So they decided to stick together and start performing outside of these big productions. Okay. And they found a space in which to do that, which is doing sketch comedy and rock and roll, all original stuff. Well, original sketches, rather. And okay. those shows were one weekly or, or bi-weekly. And, and that kind of rolled into what we know to be Shadowbox now, that the production side of the, the rock operas had faded away for a long while. Now the company kind of built up their notoriety and their expertise in, in producing sketches and, and uh, covering rock music. And, and then, this was at the space in the Short North now, which is the Eagle, right? This was their original, original space, a uh, performance space, was an abandoned buggy works building, kind of on the, on the uh, west edge of downtown, I want to say. Right. I think it's where right the lofts and, yeah. uh, Huntington Park. That's right. It's now yeah. like high-end lofts and, and exactly. offices. Yeah. yeah, there was an old, yeah, right, right around near the pen. Okay. And that's where the first space was. After that, they moved into a, a spot. We moved into a spot on Spring Street, 232. Okay. Uh, and that was the company's home for a big chunk of time. That place was destroyed by fire. And at the same time, well, a little bit before that, we were building up a secondary spot too, because what is now the Eagle okay. on High Street. And then we were also moving into Easton, into our big operation out, out okay. there. And then you haven't been in Easton for a little bit. No. And now just down on Front Street. Mm-hmm. Great. And you've been with the company for 16 years. 16 years. You started at the Cincinnati Theater. That's right. I graduated from Xavier University down in Cincinnati. I was I'm a Columbus native, born and bred. Oh, okay. Uh, and then I went to college at Xavier in Cincinnati, uh, of course, for four years. And then at the end of that time, I uh, I was studying public relations and had a minor in theater. Okay. I spent more time in my minor than I did in my major. Spent right. a lot of time cutting classes to actually just design shows and work on shows and things like that. And okay. Didn't get an internship, so I'm graduating with this great degree and I'm I'm scared out of my mind because I have no prospects zero okay so the day before I was going to get up and get out of my apartment I wasn't going to be able to afford in a month and go apply at Banana Republic 
I saw an advertisement for, or more of an article really, about this company opening up a satellite operation coming from Columbus, open up satellite operation okay. at the Newport on the Levee Complex, right around across the river from downtown Cincy. And I said, well, okay, well, I'll just give this a shot. We'll give it a shot. So I walk in there, do an audition, and then I get a call a week later saying I'd made the ensemble. Great. Which is great. So I went up to Columbus for the summer train there, mm-hmm. came back down to Cincinnati, and then I was with that, uh, where I was in that location from the first day to the last day. Okay. And we ran that one for about 10 years. Okay. What's the theater scene down there like? I mean, 10 years is not a bad run. Not at all. You could definitely chalk up that experience to a lot of factors. You know, number one, it is the theater scene in, in Cincinnati. Um, you know, we're always looking to find emerging talent in here in, in Columbus. It's the same way in Cincinnati, but on scale, it was just minute. Okay. And, you know, the bulk of what people saw in live entertainment was rock and roll shows or Broadway across America. You know, okay. whatever's coming into town at the Taft or, or things like that. It had definitely had a long historical theater experience. Of course, you have Playhouse in the Park there, which is, right. you know, the pinnacle. And then there's a vast gap between that and everyone else. Right. Well, but it's similar to like, you know, the touring shows that come into the Ohio and the Palace. That theater district to me seems as though it's a whole lot of rentals. Exactly. And that it speaks to why we are what we are. Okay. Because our drive was to be something a little bit off that beaten path and mm-hmm. to do something that no one else had done before. And to do it in a way that speaks to what people in Columbus are looking for, which is an experience that's as good as New York or Chicago, but right. it doesn't have pretension. It doesn't have sort of a sense of uh, exclusion, as it were. But that's that's what we evolved into. I would normally save this for the end, but can you compare and contrast that with the Columbus theater scene? Sure, I can. I think the Columbus theater scene is one that is willing and ready to become a big player. Okay. And it's always been that way in Columbus. You know, what I'm coming to terms with growing up and kind of understanding where I come from and why I'm the type of person that I am and why Shadowbox is so attractive to me because Shadowbox is... Columbus 100%. It's what it is unapologetically, mm-hmm. but it's looking for folks to understand how awesome it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's that's the feeling I get from my town. Yeah, absolutely. So talk to me about what as a general manager, because you were also a performer in the company. That's right. Yeah. What is your role? What are you doing as the general manager? My job is to handle the day-to-day operations, and that's okay. moving our staff around where we need to be. Now, like myself, Everybody that works at Shadowbox is also a performer, which means that during the day we're running the business as well as rehearsing for other shows. So, Mm -hmm. you know, a a typical Shadowbox staffers in that first year could come into the office at 10 a.m., work a box office shift for a couple hours, have an hour and a half of rehearsal, go sell some tickets and our telemarketing shifts, then go into another rehearsal, maybe chop onions in the kitchen, take a dinner break, change and get ready for black, set up the theater, do the show, and then clean up after. So you're looking at anywhere between a nine to 13 hour workday. And all of that activity has to be balanced against, you know, what's most important, which is putting on great shows. Right. But, you know, someone still has to (laughs) paint. Someone still has to build sets and still has to happen. So, my job is to manage all that movement throughout the day. Gotcha. Gotcha. And talk a little bit about, there was a story in the paper and I saw that there was recently like a, a little tribute to Steve. Steve was mm-hmm. the executive director for what, 25 of those For the 26? whole thing. He was the executive director, executive producer, CFO, acting coach, vocal coach. I mean, it, this is, this is. it was he his He was baby. always doing the It was always hour. his baby. So yeah. And, and micromanaging and. <laughs> And, you know, it it seems like it's always such a bad term, but it was such a labor of love for him. Mm -hmm. And because this was 
the this was his dream. Mm-hmm. And so being involved in every aspect of the operation was just it was just grist for the mill for Steve. And it taught us all how to be detailed as much as possible everywhere. But he has stepped back. But he has stepped back definitely and is now overseeing sort of our grander global artistic arch. You know, he okay. kind of guides it according to what he feels that Shadowbox is destined to be or what it's on its way to be or what it should be against the type of selections and the choices that we make in productions. And how has that transition been? I'm just, and this is sort <laughs> of a inside baseball, like sure. organizations like yours, theater organizations, arts organizations for a large part, when the, the person who sort of founded it steps back that's a difficult transition. Absolutely. And sometimes organizations don't survive through that. It seems as though from the outside, you guys are thriving and doing well. But what, what did you guys learn through that transition? We learned that we were ready to do it. Okay. Uh, a lot of time before, you know, Steve for a long, actually for the past seven or eight years, you know, Steve would discuss at least quarterly okay. succession. And how, you know, what do we do with that Steve got hit by a bus scenario where yeah. like he's not here tomorrow? Who does what and how do we branch out and what do we come in? Somebody else needs access to XYZ thing. That's like right. Literal, like just the very little succession plan stuff. That's right. And he took it. He became very proactive in pushing us to think about those things mm-hmm. and to begin training a lot of folks to do those types of jobs. So our new executive director, for example, our executive producer, rather, Julie Klein, took over, you know, our Friday matinee shows to okay. understand what it was like to produce sketch comedy on her own from start to finish. And of course, having that experience, she was able to move on into, you know, she was always assistant directing Steve and helping with casting and all that. And mm-hmm. now she's transitioned into that executive producer role from that, you know, from that experience. And now she's, of course, pulling other people up into that assistant executive kind of a producer role. But it was scary and it was enlightening all at the same time because as it turned out, the fear that we had of not knowing what to do, right. we had always known what to do because hmm. Steve's teaching method is to push you right. to find the answer, to explore all the options and to give it the best effort. And taking those things into consideration, just applying those rules to any challenge, you're going to come out on top. Mm-hmm. And once this transition had to get had to be made, we all just took those lessons to heart and turned out put together a great show and then another great show happened it was like oh my god we know what we're doing isn't that great so that's good it's been great and now we're coming into the end of that first year in this kind of new lifestyle and i think we've learned a lot and we're really really excited to continue talk to me about what else you guys have coming up this season well, right now we are moving into, oh, actually we're currently running right now, in addition to Circle of Blood, uh, is The Rocking Dead, which is our sketch comedy and rock and roll collection on Fridays and Saturday nights. Just two hours of uh, sketches and music all dedicated to, to fall fun, Halloween, okay. that kind of great feel. Great high energy rock and roll, fun sketches. Then we're rolling into the holiday season. We have Holiday Hoopla, which is our annual sketch, sketch and music show. Different material each year, but always a fun time. It's one of it's actually the most popular show of the year. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of our business for holidays, so please come out. <laughs> and we're actually premiering a new brand new musical this year. Our head writer, Jimmy Mack, who's been so, so busy this year, mm-hmm. he's put together a new show called Cratchit, and that is a Christmas carol through the eyes of Bob Cratchit. Okay. So it's a different twist on a classic story. That that has music from, you know, which is, you know, not a lot of Christmas music from Soundgarden, from, <laughs> from different rock groups. I think we've got some Counting Crows in there. It's a really great heartwarming script. It's a fun family show. So we'll definitely have you come check that out. Great. Great. 
Can you talk a little bit about some of the other theater companies in town and where are, do you even get a chance to go and see other work given the the amount that you're working? Yeah, I try very hard. I don't get to see a lot of touring shows. It leaves mm-hmm. me a lot to see a lot of, of smaller shows, a lot of the the, the itinerant companies. Mm-hmm. Notably, standing room only, I see a lot of SRO shows. Okay. They have a really great aggressive schedule, or season rather, mm-hmm. and I think they're a great little company that's doing work that they want to do on their own terms, and I feel that audiences need to go and appreciate that and check that out. That's the crazy thing about Columbus, too, because okay. when we always want that sort of big city feel to see theater and like raw spaces and do fun things that seem to be so metropolitan or but that's happening that's what i'm saying right a lot of people don't know that that's going on like i went and saw a show with sro it was in franklinton Uh you know it was in an abandoned like foundry it was like in a warehouse and i'm like they don't have a permanent space that's right right? they don't have a permanent space you know you can catch them at the performing arts center you can catch them in franklinton but it kind of depends and they choose spaces that are as much as they can be are are specific to their productions Mm -hmm. and i think that that's so great and to see a lot of empty seats out there it just it drives me mad yeah because the type of city that we want to be i think the type of city that we have so much potential to be Mm -hmm. a big part of that comes from supporting local art and supporting live art it's what makes a town cool you know yeah and i think that as we have grown as a company it helps corporations and the business world understand that too that connection between supporting live art to make a better city for great people to come and work for you. Right. We have great partners like Cardinal Health now and AEP who are working to support our projects so that our social, our cultural landscape improves, right. which makes our place more attractive for great talent. How do we solve that problem? <laughs> I, I, know, I know that's it's, a big obtuse a... question, but, you know, stuff like this, obviously, I think it's pretty apparent to the listenership here that I dedicate a lot of time Mm -hmm. to making sure that we're interviewing folks like you, visual artists, musicians, in addition to, you know, the developers and the business owners and Mm -hmm. the, the government officials. But, and maybe I shouldn't say this, the listenership for these episodes is not as high. You know, it's not drastically lower. Yeah. But you know, at least with a podcast, they're going to tab through and they're going to say, oh, I'm interested in this, or that's not really my cup of tea and not, and I do it myself with other podcasts, you know, depending on the guest, but I mean, do do we have to hide it in there? It it, it is is one of those things where should I be sandwiching you between like, you know, Mikey's late night slice and Mayor Andrew Ginther and surprise, you're going to hear from Shadowbox too. I think like, is that possibly, possibly Tim, because I think that the public has to become responsible for Mm -hmm. patronizing art. I mean, it is one of those things where, and I think in our society, in our American society, we're reaching a point where it becomes evident that we have to take action to change and affect our world. Like never before has it been more apparent that you can actually change the world if you put your mind to it. You know, good or bad, whatever, you know, you might want to subscribe to. There are great things that can happen and there are not so great things that can happen. But what is amazing is that people are understanding the power of involvement and the power of support. I think that we have to teach our city that we have a responsibility for making it great. Mm -hmm. I think cities that we want to emulate, you know, not the target like convention cities, not like a Charlotte or an Indianapolis, but an Austin and a Portland, you know, a city that has a personality, has a, has a vibe, has a, has a pulse. 
we have to become responsible for changing that landscape. And for people like us who have that opportunity to reach out to people, we do have to do that. We say, hey, guys, got to put some art in your face. And that's okay. Right. That's the that's where corporations come into play. It's like for us to be able to partner with folks who have an opportunity to reach their thousands of employees or to contribute to make a difference in our marketing budget or things like that. That's them saying, hey, guys, you got to come check this out. You got to make Columbus cool. You got to go and see live entertainment. Right. And that's the difference. That's the difference between us and the test city that we used to be. What sort of annual budget are you guys working with? I think our budget is about $3 million. Okay. Our payroll is well over half of that. Okay. Uh, which is, you know, if any business, you know, mine would Well, you don't have a small space in an undesirable sp- That's neighborhood. Right. That's right. But yeah, our budget's about $3 million. We are having a great year so far. So I'm expecting to see that number rise, if not this year, then the next fiscal year. Uh-huh. But we're doing okay. <laughs> Good. Good. We'll basically just wrap it up by, you know, you have the option of living anywhere you'd like. Why do you continue to stay in Columbus? I stay in Columbus because it's a city that is growing up around me. And I feel like I'm making an investment with my time and my life and claiming a stake in what's going to be a great American city. Honestly, I want to be a part of that story. I want to be a part of what it, what's cool. You know, anybody within, you know, a 600 mile radius of the town is like they, they flock to Chicago because Chicago's cool. Mm-hmm. Chicago was cool, not because you made it cool, it was because you, you, you know, you're now the customer. I want to be you're the merchant. You're buying in, right? Yeah, buying in. I want to be the merchant. Okay. You know, I want, I, want, I want you to come I to like Columbus that. because I'm here. Yeah. Uh, because Shadowbox is here. Yeah, that's what it is. I've never really thought about it until this moment, but that's what it is. I want to be part of making it a great place to be. Great. Brandon, thank you for your time. Ah, uh, it was awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Again, you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of the Confluence Cast with your friends, families, contacts, enemies, your favorite civil servant. If you're interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. Our post-production engineer is Philip Cogley. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a great week.